Hello and welcome to the 27th episode of What's the Alternative? I'm your Tyler, you're the listener, and I'm your host, Tyler Herman, and I am recording this episode on September 19th, 2021. And as always, we're going to talk about some of the recent news in the electric vehicle industry and uh, and kind of surrounding things, although I think it's mostly EVs today. And uh, yeah, just catch you up on what happened since the last episode. So uh, this is my attempt to get slightly back to normal with the recording schedule and um you know hopefully no other hurricanes come along or whatever that'll get my way uh next time around but um but yeah we're, we're back to it we'll see how long that lasts so as always you can find links to any of these articles and such in the show notes below and you know short little descriptions and all that sort of loveliness so we are going to jump straight into the news this week so the first bit of uh, the first bit of news we have today is that GM um, has updated their requirements with the recall. They're suggesting that Chevy Bolt owners don't park within 50 feet or 15 meters of any other vehicles, um, which isn't great. I mean, I can't imagine living in a place like New York City or whatever and not being able to park within 50 feet of other vehicles. That seems borderline impossible in a lot of parts of the country. Um, now, this was first reported by Bloomberg, so it's, it might be real, but looking at GM's website and their recall website and all that, I didn't see this recommendation anywhere. Maybe uh, I just didn't do a great job of, of researching that, uh, but it's been pretty widely reported. So uh, if that's true, and I was being picked up by some pretty big publications, so it seems like it might be, uh, that's pretty bad. And... Um, if it's not true, then boo, bad journal, bad journalism. Um, I don't like that. But either way, uh, these these requirements have been really stringent so far with the Chevy Bolt and the recall. So um, I really feel for for GM on this, and I feel for the owners who have to deal with some pretty um, draconian requirements to, uh, I guess, prevent fires and prevent damage from fires. Um, so anyway, that's just the latest bit of news in the, the Chevy Bolt recall, which is just a, a developing story of sadness. So moving straight along to some maybe happier news, the Lucid Air, the dream edition of this vehicle, um, so luxury uh, EV produced by, by Lucid, who's kind of a spinoff with some original engineers from Tesla, moved over and made their own company. Um, their dream edition, which hasn't been released quite yet, has an official EPA, so Environmental Protection Agency, uh, mileage rating. So it actually has an official range, which is exciting. And it's 520 miles, or 840 kilometers. And that's really that's really far. The next best is the Tesla Model S, which I think goes up to 405 miles or something like that, uh, just over 400 miles. And that, that's this is pretty big. And I think we talked about this in a uh, previous episode where we've had some kind of boots on the ground real world testing with the Lucid Air Dream Edition. And it, it seems like this rating is very real, like it's not an optimistic measurement. Um, it's really what you can actually get in the vehicle. So that's pretty impressive. And when it comes down to it, this is like a you know $170,000 vehicle or whatever. And I just don't really care about that very much. Um, I want like high volume mass market vehicles at this point. It's cool to see this sort of tech being demonstrated. It's only 120 kilowatt hour battery, which is not a, a huge battery. And they're managing to get this really high range out of it. So their efficiency is really impressive. And that that's cool. I hope that that makes it to, you know, less expensive vehicles. But when it comes down to this specific vehicle, I kind of couldn't care less about it. So I've really got nothing more to say about it on, the, on that. But anyway, congratulations to them. 
Hopefully they sell a couple thousand of them. Moving on to other startup electric vehicle companies, we have Rivian, and is officially rolling production vehicles off the line. We still don't know when the deliveries are going to start. Um, I'm, you know, I guess we'll just see when that happens. But at least they're rolling off production vehicles, so that's pretty exciting. Looks like we're finally getting close to them actually delivering vehicles to consumers. So, A+. plus, Good job. And then in other production news, uh, Ford has dedicated $250 million more million towards their F-150 Lightning efforts, which will bring provide 450 new jobs. So this is pretty exciting. You know, we, we had the news last week that they've increased their production targets by a factor of two for the F-150 Lightning, which is very exciting. And this is just kind of in line with that. They need more production, so they need more money thrown at it. So you love to see it. $250 investment, $250 million investment is, is quite nice. And then in further F-150 Lightning news, it does appear to still be on track for spring 22, um, 2022 deliveries. And that's exciting. Um, I've been kind of going back and forth in my head about whether or not I believe that it's actually c- going to come out on time. I kind of think if anybody's going to have their first electric vehicle like this come out on time, it's going to be Ford, who seems to have really thrown a lot of weight behind this. I say first electric vehicle, first electric truck, I should say. Um, so it looks like it's actually going to come out in spring 2022. Uh, this is really, really good news. I think we need it the sooner the better. Um, and any significant delays will, will be a bit of a blow to the industry. So very excited to hear this. And we also have news that pre-production vehicles have already been produced. So they're already getting into the pre-production where they can start actually testing the technology and and kind of get a, a really good glimpse of what the actual vehicles, once they get in consumers' hands, will actually do, what they'll, you know, how their performance will be and, and what they'll look like and all this sort of stuff. So all very exciting news from Ford there. Slightly less exciting news, Consumer Reports uh, has written a review of the new Tesla steering yoke that is in their Model S and I think the Model X. Um, we've talked about this a bit before. It's like a rectangular steering wheel, it's, it's, but it's not round. And it's got just touch-sensitive buttons for the blinkers and the horn and the brights and all that, and it's just kind of, I think it's silly. I've complained about it enough on this podcast before, so I won't go too far into it, but they've released an entire uh, review of just the yoke, and they're apparently going to be reviewing the full vehicle here pretty soon. I've got mixed feelings about Consumer Reports as a publication in general, so um, this review confirms a lot of my priors um, about the steering yoke, so I'm, I'm trying to you know be a little bit unbiased about that. Uh, I'd like to get behind, a, behind the wheel of one anyway. Uh, I guess you can't say behind the wheel of a vehicle that has a yoke, right? So you say behind the yoke? It's going to be an interesting uh, linguistic shift. I suspect that we're just not going to change that word or that phrase. But anyway, moving on from that, the company Bridgestone, which traditionally produces tires, is partnering with the company EV Box to deploy 3,500 new electric vehicle chargers across Europe. Now, this will be a five-year project, so uh, they've got some time to deploy these, these chargers. And I'm just going to quote from their press release here. The project will begin in France and Italy before expanding into the UK, Germany, Poland, Spain, and other European countries. So it's going to be kind of a widespread effort, which is nice. And the chargers are going to be a mix of DC fast chargers, so what you might use on on like long-distance travel, and quote-unquote regular chargers, which I'm assuming means level 2 chargers, the sort of thing you might find at like a Whole Foods or um, a state park or whatever. Um, but either way, 
it's exciting. I love the sort of deployment stuff. We need more chargers. We need more vehicles. This is all, these are all good things. And then we have a little bit of news out of the National Renewable Energy Laboratory, or NREL, which has continued work on their megawatt-scale charging project. And I know I've talked about this before, one of the really early episodes, that NREL is really working on megawatt-scale charging. Uh, a little bit of context on that. The DC fast charging you'll see for like a Tesla or the Electrify America chargers or whatever is in the 100 kilowatt ballpark. So that's a tenth of a megawatt. And that's kind of where they kind of float. I think the fastest uh, charging vehicle right now is in the 250 kilowatt, 300 kilowatt ballpark. So a third of a megawatt. And um, yeah, they're looking at megawatt scale, one, two, three, four megawatts of charging, which is incredibly fast. And this is obviously targeted at much heavier duty vehicles like semis or even marine vessels. Um, but it's kind of a thing that we, we need. Inrel is looking at the entire scope of this. They're looking at um, everything from what the grid is going to need to do to handle this sort of scale of charging, um, whether or not you'll need like battery backup to offset the, the grid demand and kind of smooth things out a bit, which is a potential solution to the problems. But then also like the charging standard. You need a charging standard that can support this incredibly fast charging because it's not an easy problem. That's an incredible amount of power to put into a vehicle. And you have the battery system. It's really, really complicated. Um, but this is a really neat project. It's This particular um, chapter of it is going up to 3.75 megawatts of power, which is, again, just bonkers. Um, and the, the charging standard would provide electricity at 1,250 volts and 3,000 amps, which just anybody who's familiar with electricity at all, those are like scary high numbers. Um, the system itself is called the Megawatt Charging System, or MCS, and this whole thing is a partnership between a lot of industry partners and NREL itself. So it's really nice public-private partnership to work on the problem, which, which I really love. Um, and yeah, this is just going to be really important stuff for heavy-duty electrification. You know, the slow stuff works overnight, which is great, uh, you know, the kind of 100-kilowatt scale but eventually we're going to need this megawatt scale unless we have a huge battery breakthrough, which maybe we will. But um, in, in the near term, this megawatt scale stuff is probably going to be um, something that we're very glad there was a lot of research on before the vehicles were mass market. So I love to see it. I love National Labs and, and all their work. So the story makes me quite happy. And then the last bit of electric vehicle news that I have for you, or at least direct electric vehicle news, is that Engineering Explained um, YouTube channel has done another just absolute banger of a video that looks at whether it's better to keep your current car or buy a new and more efficient vehicle. So the really cool thing about this video, just apart from everything, is that it doesn't just look at replacing a gas car with an electric vehicle. It looks at replacing a gas car with a new, more efficient gas car or an electric vehicle and kind of finds the break-even points, both from an emissions standpoint and from a materials um, standpoint. And it's just a really, really good video. Everything he does is, is fantastic. Um, and he's just like a, kind of a car guy. Um, he loves his gas cars and all that, and you can tell in, the, in the, the videos he does that he's just really passionate about them. But he also really loves electric vehicles, and he takes really honest, I think, approaches to these sorts of videos, and they're usually very, very well supported from a, a source standpoint, and you know, uses a lot of national, national labs data, 
and and first sources for for all this information. So I find them very very trustworthy in that way, um, and it's just a really great video. So if you've got 13 minutes to kill, um, watch the video. I highly recommend it. It's fantastic. So I've got two stories for you in the realm of energy. Uh, the first one is almost an electric vehicle story, but I'm going to put an energy anyway. And it's that Hyundai is going to deploy some battery storage for the grid in Texas using old electric vehicle batteries. So we've talked before that you know bad, uh, Hyundai wants to have a little bit more ownership of the life cycle of their electric vehicle batteries. They're going to have a lease program for their batteries. I think we talked about this in episode five, where... Um, you can kind of like lease the battery and like buy the vehicle. It's kind of strange. But the idea would be that, you know, when your battery reaches the end of its life or you want to get a new battery, they will still have ownership of that battery itself and they can take it back. And this makes it much easier for them to recycle their batteries because the specific chemistry of every battery makes it very difficult to recycle um, dissimilar batteries. So if they have ownership of that, that makes it a lot easier to recycle. But it also gives them options to reuse the batteries. Because, you know, if, if a battery is not useful for an electric vehicle, maybe because it can't put out the quite the quite high power, or maybe its battery capacity, the, the storage capacity has gone down, it still can be really useful for home storage or grid storage that don't, you know, don't quite require the same level of power density as an electric vehicle charger or electric vehicle battery. So um, Hyundai kind of owning that is really nice. And this kind of feels like it's going hand-in-hand hand with those earlier announcements. So the article itself is very scant on details, and I, I couldn't find much in the way of, of sources. Um, the source listed at the bottom was some person's email address. So there's that. Um, but uh, they give a tiny bit of detail about how much energy the battery will store. So they kind of they they framed it very strangely they said it will store a half megawatt of power which is enough to power some hundred homes for a day now a half megawatt of, of power would be like you know just 500 kilowatts but they're obviously talking about like actual energy storage not power storage which are which are quite different um but you know assuming that they're just kind of getting the terminology wrong maybe there's a language barrier or something like that so i'm not particularly bothered by that and if you look at the energy and um, energy information administration's data the average texan uses about 400 or 40 kilowatt hours of electricity in a day and with about 100 homes that comes out to close to half a megawatt hour of of electricity so presumably this battery is going to sit in the 500 kilowatt hour which is half a megawatt hour of energy storage. So that's probably what they meant by that. It's a fairly large battery. It's not like incredibly large. Um, and yeah, 100 homes for, for a day, that's not bad. It's kind of a small demonstration project. But, um, you know, just showing that you can use these Second Life EV batteries is, is I think, going to be beneficial anyway. So you'd love to see this sort of thing. I wish we had more detail about it and maybe like a primary source or something like that. But um, still love to see it. And then the last story I have for y'all today is another one of these not-in-my-backyard stories where there's a proposed 320-megawatt uh, solar farm in Kansas, which would make it the largest solar farm in Kansas, in Kansas history for that matter, and it is facing pushback because people want to keep their idyllic views. I apologize for all the background noise there. I have a five-year-old niece who doesn't quite understand what podcasts are. Um... <laughs> But anyway, uh, yeah, it's just one of those stories. Um, I don't have too much to say about it. There's a lot of this kind of not in my backyard. I don't want the, the aesthetics or whatever to be ruined. 
Um, it's one of those stories. You can read the article if you're interested in such things. Um, I just think it's always worth kind of pointing these these stories out uh, because they're really, really common with renewables. And I don't feel like they're quite as common with the fact that we've got, you know, coal power plants and oil, you know, derrick diggers and oil rigs and all this sort of stuff. Like, we've just kind of accepted that. But for some reason, when it comes to solar and wind power, there's just a huge amount of pushback. And it's not great. Um, there's probably a lot you can read into with that that I just won't bother going into in this, in this, uh, in this episode. So anyway, that's the last story I have for you today. Uh, this week was kind of a normal-sized week, a little bit shorter, so, um, you know, yay for that. And, as always, if you have feedback, you can find me on Twitter at ArchDukeTyler, or reach out to me by Carrier Pigeon. Uh, I think that finding my address will be exactly as hard as finding a Carrier Pigeon today. And with that, I bid thee adieu, and I'm sure I will catch you next week, or you will catch me next week, or whatever order that goes in, whenever you inevitably listen again, because, let's be honest, what's the alternative? Thank you.